Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? Bee, 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 bee. In the shalalalalalo. Hello. Have you seen A Star is Born? That movie is terrible. The last 15 minutes are okay. Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga. You're like, why is this a relevant way to start your podcast? It's not. But that song has been stuck in my head for about four months. So I'm going to let it out. When something is stuck in your head, you got to sing it and sing it through until the end. And then right at the end, you try to just picture a wall. The end. Don't let it loop. Don't let it loop. Because if it loops, you're screwed. You'll be in a world of pain, emotional pain. Honestly, isn't that the worst way to lose sleep? Song stuck in your head. I'm off the deep end, watches I shine. I'll never meet the ground. Lady Gaga straight bringing it. Actually, the movie wasn't that bad. I'd say a B minus, but it's a remake of a movie in the 70s, I think, with Barbara Streisand, Babs, hey, Babs, and Chris Christopherson. Have you heard of him? Now, on-demand television lets you go back in time and watch trailers of old movies. I realize you could also do that on YouTube, but if you go to any movie on-demand, if you have Xfinity, there's an option that says trailer. Click on it. Trailers used to be so weird. Nowadays, there's not as much voiceover narrative. Back then, we watched it. My wife and I were sitting there right after A Star is Born. We're like, should we watch the original? I think that's what people say after they see a remake. Should we spend some time, maybe, to see the original? Usually the answer is, nah, I don't think so. But this trailer was so bad. The original A Star is Born, it's all voiceover. And it's all horrible. She's a sweet woman. He's an alcoholic who writes music. This summer, Columbia Pictures presents Bop, Bop, Babada, Bop. And then they just show weird footage of him riding a motorcycle off the stage drunk and her crying. And you're like, this has really little to do with the remake. I think Bradley Cooper took some liberties to make it a more modern A Star Is Born. I guess just for cringeworthy purposes, I should probably see the original, but it looks really bad. There's something about old movies, the way they're presented, where the acting is worse. Can we just say that? The acting used to be much worse. It's better now. Anybody who likes classic films, would they be willing to admit the acting used to be much worse? It's true. Go back to a movie you liked in your childhood. You'll probably laugh and go, wow, I was so into this. I was so emotionally invested, and now I can see the acting is terrible. And now the acting's better. All right. I base that on absolutely nothing except for my own observations of watching old movies. Don't get me wrong. Old movies can still be very, very good. Very good. But the depth of the artists now, it's deeper. It's a little bit deeper. That's not a song. You think I stopped there with the old trailers? No, I watched Howard the Duck trailer. She's a normal human woman. He's a horny duck. This fall, Steven Spielberg presents... Honestly, that's Steven Spielberg. Remember Garbage Pail Kids, the movie? Saw the trailer. They like snot. This winter... Take a look at the Cabbage Patch Kids Gone Wrong. Isn't that what Garbage Pill Kids were? They kind of had the face and look of a Cabbage Patch Kid, but then they were doing nasty stuff. Dirty, dirty stuff. 
What other trailers did we watch? Valley Girl, Nick Cage. That's the weirdest one. Also the weirdest movie. And even weirder to think when I was 10 years old, I liked it. I really liked Valley Girl. Going back and watching the trailer, I was like, how? How could I have liked this? Can't buy me love. That was the sweet spot. Having an older sister means you watch these kind of movies. 16 Candles. What else? There was one with Sybil Shepard and Robert Downey Jr. Of course, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. When Sean Penn orders a pizza to the classroom. That used to be legendary, right? They used to be so unique. Now kids just get Postmates, Uber Eats, Caviar, ordering it to school. That happens. And a lot of kids don't even realize it's disruptive to have a food delivery service. Just come right to the school. Yeah, I'll be in chemistry six period. Why don't you bring over that chow mein? Thanks, bap. In the shalalalalalo. In the shalala. Nope. Okay. All right, let me get to the important stuff. I had my mind blown recently. Blown. Knowledge is power, right? It's true. You gain information. A lot of the time it puts a little wrinkle in your brain. It doesn't blow you away. You could deepen your knowledge a little bit each day of your life. Learn something new in all the great cliches that I do believe in. You should learn something new every day. But sometimes you learn something a little too deep and it affects your mood. It actually alters your perspective. It completely transforms how you look into this thing called life. And I don't like that. I'm too sensitive for that type of stuff. You know, philosophy, it's fun to discuss. But then when you learn something that resonates so deeply and you can't really get your mind back, it almost becomes worrisome. I spent about three to four days in a different mood. Three to four days in a different mood feeling meaningless where things were insignificant, and I'll explain why. But that's a long time to feel insignificant because our natural state is to place a lot of self-importance on everything we do. It's just natural. We do. Our parenting, our profession, our relationships, our interactions, we place a lot of importance on them. We want them to go well. We want them to go smoothly. Of course, we understand that things can be off kilter a little bit, But we don't want to just remove the significance of everything. So let me get to it already. Carl Sagan, you know the guy, famous astronomer. He wrote The Pale Blue Dot. Now there's an excerpt from this book I'm about to read you. But I didn't even know about The Pale Blue Dot up until, let's say, three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, my buddy Rick invited me over to watch game one of the NBA Finals. You think I'm on a tangent already. No, no, no. I'm still with you. Carl Sagan wrote a book, famous astronomer, pale blue dot. Now, I was getting a little tour of the back rooms of Rick's house. Very nice. Went to use the bathroom and I looked up and I saw a piece of art that didn't even look like art, but it was in a frame on a wall. So I guess it's art. And I was like, what is this? It was just darkness and like a sunbeam slicing through. And then yes, a tiny dot speck framed on the wall. Some words below. And my friend said, read it, read the whole thing. And I stood there, I think it was halftime, Warriors, Raptors, game one. And I was so into the game, right? And after I read this passage, the game meant nothing. And a lot of things seemed to mean nothing after that. That's how deep the passage was to me. That's how profoundly it impacted me. And they have this framed on their wall. And at first I was like, why would you frame this? Because it's a double-edged sword. The message of... Carl Sagan's passage, talking about that pale blue dot, which is Earth, 
It was something I wanted to avoid. I wanted to avoid bringing my mind to something like that. Not to say I can't handle some heavy knowledge once in a while. Actually, I'm drawn to that. I like heavy intellectual conversations. But when it's a little too much, I kind of want to bounce back. And I couldn't bounce back for three and a half days. So let me just read this damn thing already. If you've never heard this, try to stay with this. Try to really let it impact you. Or at least widen your scope of your existence. Okay, so it's a dot. That's all it is. It's a picture of a tiny, tiny dot and a few beams of light illuminating the dot. It's a picture of Earth from about 4 billion miles away, taken in 1994. The following is from Carl Sagan. He says, that's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being, whoever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher and morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species, lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic area. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. As a history teacher, that one's just so deep. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in this universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there's no hint that we will help save us from ourselves. The Earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit yes, settle not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the Earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. Carl Sagan, 1994. All right. The parts that stood out to me, obviously talking about the generals and emperors in glory and triumph, that spilled so much blood, meaning killed so many people to occupy a fraction of a dot. Really, territorial battles, spreading ideologies. What are we even doing? Who gives a shit, right? We do such a terrible job of sharing this planet. It's amazing to this day. We are the worst. If our goal is sharing a planet harmoniously, we're at an F minus level. And usually the grade F stands alone, but you got to add the minus when you think about how bad we are at sharing this earth. And the other thing, when he talks about our human conceits, where we overemphasize our self-importance, so true. But it's unavoidable. And I realized I almost wanted to get back to that. So for a moment, I read that, and then the Warriors-Raptors game means nothing to me. It was just an orange ball going through a cylinder. Who gives a fuck? And Rick was like, no, it still means something. He was trying to talk me down. Couldn't talk to my wife about it. I was like, look... I'm having a tough time, almost feeling panic. I swear to God, I couldn't sleep. And I don't know why feeling so tiny, feeling so small on this tiny planet, just a rock 
suspended in an endless universe was bothering me so much because it's not like this is new, but when you really bring your brain to that moment where you can think about it and it hits you, you start to go, who cares? Think of the last thing that stressed you out. Honestly, right now, think of the last thing that stressed you out. Isn't it almost funny how insignificant that is? It doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. A basketball game didn't mean anything. All the things I care about. Humans who hold microphones and make people laugh in comedy clubs. I go, oh, that that doesn't mean anything. And then I got back. Don't worry, I'm back. I'm back to normalcy where things mean something. And I watch basketball and it means something. But it could have a major positive, right? For the people that really grasp onto that passage by Carl Sagan, the positives are don't sweat the small stuff. We're here for a limited time, so try to enjoy it. Try to feel blessed that you're at least a part of this. Your consciousness, this is a gift. You get it. You'll never be able to explain it. We have no clue. You know, we're just these meat puppets which, with our own thoughts. And we can look in the mirror and go, I'm me. That's weird. I'm having this fleeting moment of really understanding. I'm me and I make decisions and I try to understand the world and I value relationships. And really, that's it. That's it. For me, relationships. The whole world can come down to that. A lot of things don't matter. Relationships do, though. With your kids, with your friends, with your spouse, with your family. They matter. Because when you're on your deathbed, we all picture being so lucky to be on a deathbed one day, surrounded by our loved ones. If we're lucky enough to go out that way on a deathbed, are you picturing hospital right now or just a bed in a desert? with black sheets called the deathbed. Josh Rosenberg is on his deathbed, surrounded by loved ones. And then you ask yourself, what matters? Was it something that stressed you out at your job 35 years ago? Of course not. Was it a financial hiccup 20 years ago? Of course not. Was it a bad grade you got in the classroom? Of course not. Was it the fact that your team lost to the Raptors in game six? Well, right now that stings, but no, of course not. But relationships, did those matter? Yeah. Yeah, they did. So when you think about time, how it's limited, you got to spend it with the people you really enjoy, you really love. You can control your inner circle. Think about that for a moment. I know you might have to work with people you don't like, or you might have to come across people you don't like in society, but the people you really let into your heart, those are the people that you got to be connected to forever, forever. And there's not a lot. You don't have to have a long list of the people you really get. You, you really feel like they understand you as well. Think about that right now. There's not a long list. Ask yourself, how many people really know you? Take a moment. Really take a moment. How many people really know you? And asking that question in the first place means how well do you know yourself? But we'll get to that in a moment. How many people really get you? Your depth, your insight, your intelligence, your warmth, your personality, your humor, your wit. How many people really understand you? It's probably a short list, right? There's a lot of people that probably like you or enjoy spending time with you, but how many people get you? That's why finding like-minded folks with similar sensibilities is one of the most rewarding feelings in the world. And you slowly, you know, you get grandfathered in with all these people you grow up with. And then a lot of people go their separate ways and that's fine. But the ones that hang on and you realize, wow, we're mates forever. Could be in your family, could be beyond. But it's probably a short list. But when you find them, those are the people, it's like magnetic. You're just drawn to. It's energy. You can't explain it. Why do you love the people you love? You could try to explain it. Well, they're considerate. They're nice. 
they're funny. No, it's, it's more of an energy. It's more of something in your heart that connects with people. So these are some of the positives by thinking about the pale blue dot. We're tiny. And then you think about, is there intelligent life elsewhere? And I'd say 90% of humans believe there is. I brought up this passage with all of my classes on the last day of school or the second to the last day of school. I just brought up the Carl Sagan passage. I said, Hey, why not? If it profoundly impacted me, why not relay that to a bunch of 16 year olds? And their responses were so wonderful. It reminded me why I love teaching. These are the great thinkers, the future thinkers. Obviously teaching has headaches along the way. Yeah. It has challenges and difficulties just like any job. But those moments where a young person can dazzle you with their intellect and their theories, those I'm blown away by what I just heard moments. I had a full day of that. Just by bringing up Carl Sagan's pale blue dot quotes, I got to hear their visions and their views of what this thing is, human life on earth, where we stand, a bunch of molecules interacting with one another. It's one of those conversations that you could actually have for three or four hours. But what about this? Well, have you thought about this? Ultimately, it could make you scared as well. I had a couple of students say, I'm having a little anxiety thinking about this. And I said, I relate. I completely relate. When we think of ourselves on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam in this vast cosmic arena, endless, whenever people try to explain how big the universe is, kind of gives me a little anxiety. I don't know why. It shouldn't. Like right now, you might be listening to this podcast and having zero reaction, or maybe you're thinking, wow, for this little speck called Earth to be the only life ever known, everything that's ever happened that we've ever heard of has happened here on a speck. It's kind of interesting, right? Look at me tiptoeing away from it. Yeah? Yeah, maybe not. You into this? You feeling it? Or you want to get back to in the shallow, la 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 Did you see Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper at the Oscars, that duet? It was good. It was good. Although if you watch the movie, Sam Elliott's character, you can't understand a damn word he says the entire time. And you want to. It's so annoying to know that he's saying probably pretty deep things. Or that would help you understand the plot, but you just, your dad wouldn't let that happen. I tell you, it's not there, but it might be there. If not a day goes by when I don't dibble dibble. You go, Sammy, take two. This guy's not enunciating. All right, A Star is Born, Act 2, Scene 3. Sam Elliott walks in and has a very profound speech for Bradley Cooper and action. Is he singing Lady Gaga's song? In the shallow Tell me something, girl. Nominate him for an Oscar, though, I guess. Why not? He's a cool motherfucker who you will never understand. I can't handle that in a movie when I don't get it. Not just his words, but plot. I think I have a very low movie IQ. There are times when I look at my wife, first 10 minutes of the movie, I go, What? What's going on? Who's she? Why's she there? What happened? Maybe I daydream that often where I can't even stay with a movie plot. How sad. How about this? How about this for a moment? We finally saw Green Book, which is spectacular. 
deserving of the best picture nod that it received. And I thought it was fiction the whole time. It wasn't until the closing credits where they're giving you the true story of what happened, where I said, wow, that happened? Vito Mortensen and Mahershala Ali. Have you seen a better pairing of actors in the last 10 years? They were both lead actors. And to think Rami Malek wins for playing Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody, that wasn't even great. Rami Malek was probably like a B-minus performance. You see Mahershala Ali in Green Book? What the fuck? It was brilliant. Playing pianist Don Shirley who's an actual classical pianist and composer. Never heard of him. Thought I was watching fiction. I guess I knew nothing about the movie. Never saw a trailer. Just knew it won Best Picture. So if it wins Best Picture, I want to see it. And I saw it and I loved it. And then it wasn't until the final credits where I go, whoa, this all happened. How ugly. How ugly. That people in the South still wanted to hear his music, but said, yeah, you can't stay at this hotel. Though. Yeah, you can't eat at this restaurant, though. But we, the white racists of the South, we still want to see you play piano. What are we doing? That's rhetorical. There's no answer to that. When you study racism, when you study slavery in the South, oppression, Jim Crow, you just go, what? What are you talking about? These are humans there to entertain you, and you don't want them eating at your restaurants, but yeah, get on the piano and play for us. And Vito Mortensen, is that his name? I don't even know. But the white guy who plays his bodyguard, taking him all through the venues, he's supposed to defend him on his tour of the South. He's dynamite. And there's comedy, there's sentimentality. But in the end, you just go, it's so ugly, so ugly, that this is the history of our great country. And when I say great country, I mean that as well. Love this country, but when you study the history, if you were to write a list of all the good things and all the bad things, which list would be longer? Probably the bad things, right? Great list of good things. Great list of good things. I think the list of bad things might just be a little longer. Just a little bit. That's not anti-patriotic. That's just my truth, pal. Okay? It's always weird to think of historical bias. How'd you learn about this country? What'd you read? Who'd you read? Who researched it? Who wrote it? Which journalist reported it? And who did that journalist work for? A lot of conspiracy theorists out there, just skeptical people always want to know, how were you educated about this country? It's being told through many different viewpoints. I get that. But the viewpoints that I've studied, I go, yeah, it's been a little ugly. Let's make sure the future is the best. Oh, that's inspiring. I got a lot of motivational quotes. All right, here's some questions. I got a few questions for you. By the way, we could go back to the question of how well do you know yourself, but that's tough to answer. How about how often do you surprise yourself as you get to know yourself a little more and you try to detach from all the many things of your upbringing where you thought you liked and then you examine your own identity and you go, what's my comfort zone? Is it always changing or is it set in stone? How well do you know yourself? That's one of the keys to life. Knowing yourself. Once you really know yourself, deeply know yourself, then you can kind of stay on that path of doing things that make you feel comfortable. And then you'll get accused of staying too narrowly on that path and not delving out and experiencing new things. Isn't that the problem? If you're like, I know myself, I know what I like. I know what I want to do. This is how I'm wired. And people are going to go, yeah, but maybe you're closed minded to experiencing other things. I hate to say it, but I might be a little closed minded. I like all people. I really mean that. I do. But when you know what you like, from food to entertainment, culture, you kind of just stay on that path and it feels comfortable. Find your comfort. 
Too short, said it. Get in where you fit in. All right, here's these questions. This is ridiculous. This is even gross, but I have to ask it. When you go into a bathroom, answer this. You go into a public bathroom, or it could just be at a house party, any bathroom, and someone has already blown it up. Just the steam stench, you know what I'm talking about, is all over the place, and you still go in. When you leave, if there's somebody in line, do you tell them, wasn't me? So if somebody dropped the number two, you go in for the number one, you exit, someone's in line. Do you just walk right on by them and let them think it might have been you that blew up the spot? Might have been you that left it like that? Just with an atrocious zoo scent? Like, are we at the zoo? Are we near the elephant exhibit? That bad. You go into that kind of bathroom. We've all been there. And you exit quickly. Someone's in line. Do you explain the situation to that person? Look, it wasn't me. When I went in the bathroom, it was already that way. I promise you it wasn't me. Like, do you feel like your reputation's on the line? Acting like you could not possibly ever create that kind of smell. So you come out and you just need to let it be known? Or do you just walk away? Walk away from it and leave everything in your wake. Leave the disgust in the dust. I'm asking. I don't know the answer. I guess if it's someone you know, like you know pretty well, you could kind of give them a look like, uh-uh, it wasn't me. Or like, buckle up. It's going to get wild in there for you. I don't know the answers. But these are public bathroom questions we all have. Also, someone has a booger in their nose. You tell them? You tell them? Or do you worry that it'll offend them? Just a booger in the nose. They're talking to you. I don't care who they are. Friend, foe, peer, acquaintance, mate, relative. I don't care who it is. If you're in a conversation with them, they got booger in nose. Do you stop the conversation and just simply say, hey, you got a booger in your nose. There's no other way to word that, by the way. No other way to soften it. Or do you just let the conversation go as their words go into mute because you can't focus on anything else? I don't know. What about zipper down? Same question, but not booger in nose. Their zipper is down. You go, hey, you might want to, you, you might want to zip it up. We have to answer these questions if we're going to advance as a civilization. These are social norms that have not been agreed upon because we're worried, do we offend this person or are we helping this person? Bad breath? I guess you can't. You really can't, right? Unless it's spouse, I guess. I don't know. Can you ever just tell someone, hey, your breath is kicking. Or do you just back up, back up, back up, and go? That's another question we have when interacting. Eye crust, spittle on the lip, all these things that are going to distract you from having a normal conversation. If it's going on, do you bring it up? I guess you should just say no, right? We should just go our own way. But aren't we doing them a favor by bringing it up and saying, hey, if not me, meaning if I'm not the one that's going to spend time with you right now, because I'm so grossed out by a lot of things happening from your zipper to your booger nose to your crusty ass eyes to all this stuff to your breath to that little white foam patch at the corner of your lips. I'm trying to do you a favor. Later in the day, when you keep trying to interact with people and ruin their days, why don't you fix yourself up? This is okay. I think, I think I'm coming to the conclusion right now. Let's call people out. Let's do it. I'll say this as a fact. If it's me, if I'm the violator, tell me. Oh, baby, tell me, tell me, tell me, please tell me. All right, you got to love how I go from being a speck in the universe 
to bringing up so many insignificant questions, but that's how I like it. Let's sweat the small stuff. Why not? You ever go to a restaurant? Look around at all the conversations that mean something to strangers. means nothing to you. Next time you're at a restaurant, just look around. Look around at all these people. You know, they're so invested in their conversations. has no meaning to you. Just look around. You go, wow. Huh. This is how I look to them. And you could be having like the greatest conversation in your life. doesn't matter to anybody. That's why I think we're so isolated within our own compartments, our own little spheres. We're invested in that. That's all that matters. That's why I think homelessness is an eternal problem. How many people truly care? How many people honestly care about poverty? Most people say they do. How many people are given to charities or like really helping? And then when it comes down to it, you kind of just care about what's going on in your own sphere of life. You care about your family, you care about your friends, but I'd say 94% of Americans just drive by homeless people and don't care. They don't care. It's the old survival of the fittest mentality. Capitalism has won. Free enterprise, every man, every woman for themselves. We've done a successful job historically, of painting communism as such an enemy, as such a villain. Yeah, but the simple concept, the simple concept written by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels is, hey, how about a classless society? Now, there's going to be this danger of the underprivileged, the underpaid, overthrowing the elite top tier. So what if everybody just makes the same, earns the same? And of course, that's the opposite of our way here in America. But communism is a safety net. We've never seen pure communism work in this world, but the concept is nobody's rich, nobody's poor, everybody's on the same plane, equal playing field. We're all on par with one another. We hate that idea, don't we? If we have the opportunity to rise up to the top in this country, that's the dream, right? You sample size a bunch of teens, say, raise your hand if you want to be rich, not just have enough. Raise your hand if you want to be wealthy later in life. Most of the room will raise their hands. It's just how we're wired. You say, raise your hand if you just want to have just enough, just enough, but there would be no more homelessness. There'd be no more poverty. Who's raising their hand? A few, a few kids. Where am I going with this? Holy shit. I feel like I've been talking without listening. That's not a good quality. I got to fix that. I got to be invested in what I'm saying, but that was a little autopilot. I have a headache right now, a dome splitter. I need three ibuprofen. I need it. Is ibuprofen a problem? Could you be a drug addict if you're addicted to Advil? No, no, that's over the counter. That's fine. You should probably limit your intake though. I believe limit your intake of anything or just drink more water, but I feel hydrated. Okay. Wait, I was talking about something. Hold on. I want to go back, go back, go back. Capitalism, communism, caring about poor people. Do you really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This all goes back to everything from Carl Sagan. It is the simple idea that we place such self-importance on what's going on in our world that in a weird way, we kind of disregard other people's existences. The amount of shit that doesn't matter to us, even though we all share this planet, we do such a poor job of it because we place so much importance and significance on what we are all about, on what we're doing. That's just how we're wired. You could say it's a terrible thing, You could say it's selfish, but I think that's perhaps the natural way we exist. We don't spend much time in the headspace of we're all together, need to help humanity, be kind to one another. Everybody's conversation in that restaurant means something, not just yours. All right. So what's in your pocket right now? 
one piece of paper that says you are completely meaningless, just a speck in this giant world, or this world was created for you. You do mean something. Let's go with that one. Yes, you're meaningful. You are. I mean that genuinely. Feel it. I think you already feel it. All right, that's episode 59. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon.